Tenakoto Tefanao, O Unitarians, O Tamaki Makoto. Tenakoto na manuhiri. No mai haere mai ki tene fare karakia o te atua. Ko Ted Zorn toko ingwa. Ko Charleston, USA, aho. Ko Cooper River te awa. Ko Pinnacle Mountain te monga. Ke tamaki makoro aho e noho ana. He mauria kai firia. Norera ero rangatira ma tena koto, tena koto, tena tato katoa. <laughs> we welcome you into this space made sacred by Auckland Unitarians for over 120 years, as well as into the virtual space made sacred by all of us coming together. We are about to enter sacred time. We are about to make this time and this place sacred by our presence and intention. Please turn off or silence your phones, and as you do, I invite you to also turn down the volume on our fears, to remove our masks, the metaphorical ones, not the N95s if you choose to wear those, and to loosen the armor around our hearts. Do it as slowly as you need to. If you take a little risk with these good people, you may find they have the same human needs as you do. Breathe. Let go of the expectations placed on you by others and those they taught you to place on yourself. Drop the guilt and shame, not to shirk accountability, but an honest expectation of the possibility of forgiveness. Let go of the thing you said the other day. Let go of the thing you dread next week. Be here in this moment. Breathe here. By the way, the, the fakatoki or proverb, he mauria kai firia, means ignore small matters and direct your energy towards what's important, which seemed like a good fit with our theme today. Our opening words are from Missing Out in Praise of the Unlived Life by Adam Phillips. Much of our so-called mental life is about the lives we are not living, the lives we are missing out on, the lives we could be leading, but for some reason are not. What we fantasize about, what we long for, are the experiences, the things and the people that are absent. It is the absence of what we need that makes us think, that makes us cross and sad. We have to be aware of what is missing in our lives, even if this often obscures both what we already have and what is actually available. Perhaps the first thing we do notice that our needs like our wishes, are, are always potentially unmet. Because we're always overshadowed, sorry, we are always shadowed by the possibility of not getting what we want, we learn at best to ironize our wishes, that is to call our wants wishes. A wish is only a wish until, as we say, it comes true, and at worst, to hate our needs. But we also learn to live somewhere between the lives we have and the lives we would like. We light this chalice to welcome us all into this sacred space, to be present here together. May the light of the flame help us to find clarity, truth, and renewed purpose. And may its warmth help us to appreciate our connection with each other and the wide world. I invite you to say our church covenant along with me. 
Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is the sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve humankind in fellowship, to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony. Thus do we covenant with each other and with our God. Our reading this morning is from Adam Phillips' book, Missing Out, in praise of the unlived life. There's always what will turn out to be the life we led and the life that accompanied it, the parallel life or lives that never actually happened, that we lived in our minds, the wished for life or lives, the risks untaken and the opportunities avoided or unprovided. We refer to them as our unlived lives because somewhere we believe that they were open to us, but for some reason, and we might spend a great deal of our lived lives trying to find and give the reason, they were not possible. And what was not possible all too easily becomes the story of our lives. Indeed, our lived lives might become a protracted mourning for or an endless tantrum about the lives we were unable to live. As we know, as we know more now than ever before about the kinds of lives it is possible to live, and affluence has allowed more people than ever before to think of their lives in terms of, in terms of choices and options. We are always haunted by the myth of our potential of what we might have in ourselves to be or to do. So when we are not thinking the ways we miss our lives is life, we are grieving or regretting or resenting our failure to be ourselves as we imagine we could be. We share our lives with the people we have failed to be. We discover these unlived lives most obviously in our envy of other people and in the conscious and unconscious demands we make on our children to become something that was beyond us and of course in our daily frustrations. Our lives become an elegy to meet, our lives become an elegy to needs unmet and desires sacrificed, to possibilities refused, to roads not taken. The myth of our potential can make of our lives a perpetual falling short, a continual and continuing loss, a sustained and sometimes sustaining rage. Though at its best, it lures us into the future. The myth of potential makes mourning and complaining feel like the realest things we do and makes of our frustration a secret life of grudges. Even if we set aside the inevitable questions, how would we know if we had realized our potential? Where did we get our picture of this potential from? If we don't have potential, what do we have? We can't imagine our lives without the unlived lives they contain. Once the next life, the better life, the fuller life, has to be in this one, we have a considerable task on our hands. Now, someone is asking us not only to survive, but to flourish, not simply or solely to be good, but to make the most of our lives.
I've titled my random musings today, FOMO, Imagined Lives and Reclaiming Joy. FOMO is an acronym for fear of missing out. So I'll start with a confession. Um, I chose this topic because I suffer from FOMO, um, and it has had a profoundly negative impact on the quality of my life, and in some cases, the lives of people I care about. But I'm working on practicing JOMO, the joy of missing out, and my life is richer as a result. Um, I've worked in universities since the late 1980s. In, in my early years as an academic, I usually taught three to four courses per year, a fact that prompted mock expressions of astonishment from my father, who talked about what a cushy job I must have. However, during most of my career, I worked 60 plus hours per week, worked almost every weekend day, and almost always took my laptop on holidays. I regularly woke up at 4 or 5 a.m. to start my workday. I organized my honeymoon around an international conference. One reason for all of this was the publish or perish ethos in universities. Um, one reason is the work ethic ingrained in me by my father and given a huge booster shot when I saw his humiliation of being out of a job in his early 50s. Um, I was determined to put myself in a position where I would never be so vulnerable. But perhaps the biggest reason was my own drive to be successful, as I defined it then, and most importantly for my talk today, to be seen to be successful in my career and my life. Um, in 2012, I was I, at, I thought, what the, the pinnacle of my career when I was appointed dean of New Zealand's business, uh, largest business school at Massey University. Not long after that, the university's vice chancellor the chief executive in the, the university, named me his second in command, deputy vice chancellor. I was really proud of what I had achieved. Uh, during those years, I regularly posted selfies on my Facebook page of my many, my many international work trips, photos alongside prime ministers, ambassadors, prominent CEOs, and newspaper articles about projects that I had initiated. Outside of work, I posted pictures of happy times with my family and friends, the beautiful ocean views from my then home, and the exotic locations on which I spent holidays. If you had looked at my Facebook feed, you'd have thought I had a perfect life. In fact, friends often said just that. But it was not perfect. Uh, things were messy and complicated and deeply imperfect. I made mistakes and I hurt people I loved. I had all the material things I needed but regularly looked at friends' lives with envy. Sometimes I wondered, should I buy a boat? Could we afford a bigger house? Should I actively pursue a vice chancellor role? Could I make myself feel better if I had more stuff? Would these things make up for what was lacking in other areas of my life, difficult relationships, or the pain and regret I felt in my heart? <clears throat> What's obvious to me now is that I've suffered from FOMO and I've also perpetuated it. I've been blessed with much and I still feel envy. And my efforts to highlight only the most positive aspects of my life and hide things that were uncomfortable has caused anguish to people I love. So what is FOMO? FOMO was recently added to the Oxford English Dictionary and is defined as anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere often aroused by posts seen on a social media website, end of quote. The term was coined in 1996 by a marketing researcher, and it continues to get a lot of attention from marketing professionals. This is important 
because the job of marketing professionals is to heighten our anxiety that something is missing in our lives and to offer us a cure. From a marketing perspective, your FOMO is not a problem. It's an opportunity. Something to be stoked, nurtured, and exploited for someone else's profit. FOMO is often used broadly to describe the fear that we are missing out not just on an event seen in social media, but the anxiety that we are missing out on a better life, that others are living better, richer, more satisfying lives than we are. FOMO did not start with social media, but it has been amplified by social media. FOMO is closely related to what author Adam Phillips describes as the anxiety arising from the belief that our lived life is vastly inferior to the unlived lives we can imagine. And we can imagine those unlived lives in part because we observe others' lives, but only the parts of their lives that they let us see, which leads us to social media. The algorithms of Facebook, Instagram, and other social media companies, that is the software programs that determine what you see on your social media feed, are carefully designed with one goal in mind, to keep your eyes glued to their site as long as possible. They record what you respond to with likes and comments, even where you pause and read or watch something, and they give you more of that. Author Johan Hari wrote, the algorithm they use has one key driving principle that is consistent. It shows you things that will keep you looking at your screen. That's it. Remember, the more time you look, the more money they make." End quote. We know the algorithm is successful. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. It creates a situation in which each of us is constantly comparing our regular lives to the highlights of others' lives, our friends' finest moments. But social media is not the only cause. Uh, the causes are, are deeper. FOMO is driven by our need for connection and, and belonging. We want to be included in our friends' events because it makes us feel like we matter to others, that we're important enough to be included. One of our most basic needs as humans is to be part of a social network and community. One of the most effective methods of torture is to isolate people. We've seen in the COVID years that isolation leads to desperate loneliness and mental distress. So the F in FOMO is rooted in a deeper set of fears. Fear of not belonging, fear of not being enough or good enough. A recent review of research on FOMO, yes, there have been many studies, found that it is linked to psychological problems such as diminished well-being, dissatisfaction with life, anxiety, and depression. It is also connected with destructive behaviors, such as compulsive social media use, sleep disturbance, and fubbing, P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G, which is a combination of phone and snubbing. So it's when someone focuses on their mobile phone instead of the people that they're actually with. Fubbing, remember that. FOMO leads us to focus excessively on our imagined lives at the expense of the life we're actually living. Heightened fear of missing out leads us to focus on envy, jealousy, and regrets. It steals our sense of joy and gratitude. Our imagination is a wonderful gift. It allows us to envision what's possible and to be inspired to aim for better, richer, more connected lives. 
But when it goes too far and we spend too much time focusing on the unattainable, we miss the gift of what, and more importantly, who is with us right now. Are we helpless? No. There are things we can do to reclaim joy in our lives. This is where JOMO, the joy of missing out, comes in. JOMO is about intentional choice, intentionally choosing to ignore the Joneses, to choose not to try to keep up. We can frame each moment and our lives in terms of our dreams, our goals, our values, and not those of others, and to choose simplicity and satisfaction over materialism and striving and craving. We can find joy in missing out only if we decide that the thing we're missing out on will not contribute to our happiness. That we don't need others' validation of our worth by being there or by having more. Overall, JOMO comes from valuing what you do have and believing that it is enough. That time with your loved ones and friends is enough. That you are enough. Here's a partial list of things we can do to resist FOMO and claim joy. First, practice mindfulness, acceptance, being in the moment. Thich Nhat Hanh says, the immediate product of your practice of mindfulness is joy, solidity, and happiness in every moment. Second, redefine success, not as attaining status or wealth, but as Emerson said so beautifully, quote, to laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the beauty in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know that one life has breathed easier because you lived here, that is to have succeeded." End quote. Third, practice gratitude. A recent Harvard Medical School article was entitled, Give, Giving Thanks Can Make You Happier. Gratitude helps us feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve our health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. Fourth, turn off or intentionally limit your consumption of social media, or alternatively, unsubscribe from people who boast too much or who are not supportive of you. Fifth, try a digital detox. Take a break from your digital devices. Sixth, spend time with friends and people whom you love and who make you feel supported. Make those personal connections with people who are important to you. Finally, because of those external forces that are working to heighten our FOMO, we may need collective action to regulate those, those forces. The social media algorithms that work to keep you scrolling and clicking are at the heart of what's been called surveillance capitalism. The capture and commodification of personal data, especially the social media items that you click and linger on for the core purpose of profit making. Author Johan Hari again says, you could have all this technology but design it not so that it pulls people away from their deeper and more meaningful goals, but so that it helps them to achieve them. We could just ban surveillance capitalism. In closing, let me return to where I started with my personal struggle with FOMO. Um, for me, I, I believe the anxiety of missing out led me to make choices that were ultimately destructive for my well-being and relationships.
So I'm trying to practice my own version of JOMO. Despite what I said about my struggle with overworking and excessive striving for success, I have loved the work I do, and I still love that work. But I look at it differently now. I'm trying to focus on the joy of the work itself and the ways it can make a difference, rather than the external rewards. Admittedly, that's much easier when you're very late in your career. I've also greatly reduced my social media use and device use in general. I deactivated Facebook a few months ago, and I've not missed it which surprises me, but I've not. I've also not taken a laptop on a holiday in the last year. I've been practicing mindful meditation and gratitude regularly. Most importantly, I've been focusing on my personal relationships in a new way. I'm working to build a strong, honest relationship with my daughter, trying to transition to a meaningful relationship between adults. I'm active in a group that focuses on creating deep, intimate friendships among men I open myself to them and am vulnerable in new ways and have thus formed close friendships. This has given me a new community in which I have a strong sense of belonging and connection. These are bonds that let me give up the showmanship of Facebook because what I have now is stronger and more real than that superficial arena. I have seen how I have hurt people with my Facebook feed and want to be honest and brave in my relationships instead. At the heart of resisting FOMO and practicing JOMO is accepting that most of us have enough and that I and you are enough, recognizing that despite all that is wrong in the world, we have each other and we have the chance of living lives of value and integrity. We don't have to spend our moments fretting over what others have or what others are doing, but can claim the joy in our relationships and in our lives. Um, I would like to acknowledge Kate for collaborating with me on writing these random musings. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. I was supposed to do that at the same time, wasn't I? Okay. Distinguishing. Um, my closing words are by Samuel Trombori. Go forth in simplicity. Find and walk the path that leads to compassion and wisdom that leads to happiness, peace, and ease. Welcome the stranger and open your heart to a world in need of healing. Be courageous before the forces of hate. Hold and embody a vision of the common good that serves the needs of all people. And finally, to, to close, another Fakatoki. Waiho i te toipoto, kawa i te toroa, which translates to, let us keep close together and not wide apart. And here are the questions that I would like us to uh, consider. What is your experience with FOMO and JOMO? The fear of missing out and the joy of missing out. And what will you individually or collectively do about it? So what is your experience with FOMO and JOMO? FOMO or JOMO? And what will you individually or collectively do about it?